Welcome to the Ranching Burnett podcast, episode number 15, How to Farmer's Market. Today, we're going to continue our how-to series with Megan Johnston of Riverbend Cattle Company. If you haven't heard her interview episode, pause this one and go back to episode number eight to hear Megan's journey as a first-generation rancher. She shared some amazing insight and advice. You don't want to miss it. Megan, I'm so grateful to have you joining us for another episode today. Thank you so much for having me back. Oh, absolutely. This is going to be so much fun. So I'm excited to just kind of dig deeper into selling beef at a farmer's market. I know a lot of this comes down to experience and just doing it, but I'm really excited to have you join me to break this down and share with folks in hopes of maybe shaving the learning curve and time involved down just a touch for people because there's already so much going on from getting your cows to getting set up. And then now what do we do? We got to sell the beef, right? Just start getting them to pay for themselves. (laughs) So there's so much to this from getting registered to the teardown of your booth setup, and we're going to do kind of our best to cover it all today for folks listening in. So Megan, before we get started, can you remember your very first market? I do. It wasn't awful. I definitely have learned a lot since then, but (laughs) yeah, my first market was it's an outdoor mall kind of called Shops at Wiregrass in Wesley Chapel. Like I said, it wasn't awful, but I definitely saw lots of areas for improvement. So I think everyone should be prepared for that and and don't expect it to, you know, don't expect to hit the ground running the first first time because you'll definitely realize the things that you need to improve after just doing one market. (laughs) Yeah, I've done a couple of farmers markets, uh, not selling my beef yet because I just kind of sell that direct currently. But I've done it for when I've made leather products and whatnot. And I thought I was so prepared. I did all my research, bought all the stuff I needed. And then I went to my first farmer's market. I'm like, whoa, okay. I wasn't quite ready for this. And I did okay. But I, like you said, I definitely learned a lot. And then each market I improved on. And it was just kind of neat to see what I thought I was prepared for and what I was not prepared for at all. So I'm kind of excited to get down into the nitty gritty of that for folks. Yeah, I think you can try to prepare yourself as much as you want, but until you get there, it's you're never really going to know what to expect because I think it depends a lot on the customers there. So you can't really anticipate that, you know, the, the feedback you're going to get from them or the, yeah. the flow of traffic or the conditions or anything. So it's it's really something you kind of have to go and do once and, and get a general feel of the the people attending the markets and um, it, for you to really be able to see where you need to change things. I couldn't agree more. What would you say would be, from your perspective, the first steps to do before signing up for a market? I would definitely recommend going to check them out. Any market that you're thinking about signing up for, go and check it out, kind of observe the other vendors, talk to the other vendors, ask yeah. questions. And that kind of thing is definitely very helpful. Highly recommend doing that before just showing up somewhere. Absolutely. I I remember checking out a few markets around here, just trying to decide, like in Montana, we're spread out. All of our towns are, you know, a couple to a few hours away. And I was kind of central and I'm like, well, am I going to do Helena or Missoula or go to a couple other towns? And so I really just started researching some of the farmer's markets around. And you're absolutely right. I mean, especially if in your community, you have several to choose from. Mm definitely go scope out which ones are driving more traffic and the vendors being friendly to it. Other (laughs) vendors are 
shut off through the whole thing and you're walking through and they're not engaging, Mm -hmm. you know, most people might not return back (laughs) if it's like this negative vibe going on. Definitely. (laughs) Or the vendors don't even look like they want to be there. So you kind of want (laughs) an upbeat market too. Even if the other vendors aren't even selling food, (laughs) if they're just selling other items, you know, you want to make sure your vibe is good too. Absolutely. I have for sure noticed that and it just blows my mind sometimes the, the attitude that you have. If, you know, if you're going to go all the way there and bring your product, at least act like you want to sell it. Absolutely. <laughs> so I agree that's going to make a big difference in just overall attendance from other people. Yeah. I, and I loved engaging with people and it was funny to me because I'd look at some of the other vendors and they weren't even talking to folks or they were reading a book or whatever. And, you know, I get there's downtime too, but they'd have customers in their booth and they're just sitting there not saying anything. I'm like, oh, how awkward for the customer. Like put yourself in that customer's position. If I walked in somebody's booth, I'd be like, okay, this is weird. This is a little awkward. (laughs) No conversation (laughs) happening here. Exactly. So I would just engage with everybody who walked by. I'd be like, Hey, how's it going? Thanks for coming out. And it would drive my husband nuts because he's like, you can talk to literally anybody. I'm like, well, you got to reach them. You know, if you want them to actually come in and engage with you, you've got to be the first one to say, Hey, thank you. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, absolutely. And there's little things that affect that too. I've noticed the, the organization I do the markets through, they're really good about making sure the the setup of the tents and the whole market footprint is going to encourage that kind of thing. So they'll make the, the um, okay. you know, the walkways more narrow because they know that if it's, if they're just, you know, 10 feet wider, that allows people to just go right through the middle. And you can't really talk to those people if they're, you know, 20 feet away from you. So they do things like that, that really make it easier to engage with the customer. So that's helpful. Oh, that's a great idea. The markets I've been to, they hadn't done that. It was kind of like a street wide. So everybody was right on the edge of the curb. And Mm. then there's the whole middle of the road that people are just, like you said, walking right down the middle, Mm -hmm. avoiding yeah probably any salesy type people (laughs) but uh, that makes it frustrating so that's neat to hear that your market does that closes you guys in a little more I think that's fantastic because then they can't escape you (laughs) (laughs) yeah this organization does a lot of things to help the the vendors as much as possible so that that's a really good thing about them so when you were signing up for your market how hard was the application process for where you're at because to remind everybody Megan is in Florida. So mm-hmm. uh, for those of you in different parts of the country, it's going to vary quite a bit. But Megan, what was your experience in Florida getting set up for your farmer's market as far as applying? Applying? Actually finding the application online and sending it in was no problem. But hearing back was hard. And now that I know the folks that run the market, I understand how busy they are and why it didn't really make it in front of anyone right away. So I honestly... <laughs> I, this is gonna make me sound crazy, but I I pretty much had to track the market manager down at the market one time, and because um, <laughs> they have a booth there, but um, she was never there when I would go check out the market, and so I was I finally just one time when I went I asked someone where she was, and I ended up having to find her <laughs> taking her lunch break at one of the restaurants, <laughs> but and when I found her she was very glad to see me and was you know said oh my gosh I'm so glad finally found me because I've been meaning to get back to you. So it was it was not easy to get the ball rolling, but once I was able to talk to someone, it was very easy. It really all they wanted to know about me was what I was selling and how I raised the product. They were very interested in having producers there, um, you know, farmers, ranchers, dairy farmers, anyone who actually produced the product themselves, they were 
really eager to have. So I didn't have to do much of, you know, an audition or anything like that. They were just glad to have someone there who was a farm to table vendor. And then also the permitting, you know, at that point, I didn't really, I had still didn't know what kind of regulations there were, what kind of permitting I had to have. And unfortunately, they didn't really know either. And that might change a lot depending on the county and the state that you're in. There were certainly things that I knew the state would require uh, me to have, but the market organization didn't really know what those were. And they didn't know really what to tell me on finding out those answers. (laughs) And they also didn't really say I had to have them. Well, that's kind of frustrating. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, I probably could have just not even mentioned that stuff and they would have said, come on out and bring it. So they are not involved at all in that part of the process. And I'm not sure why that is. I I guess it's because if I were to be breaking some rule that exists, I would be the one to get in trouble and not them, maybe. I, I don't know. But they weren't really clear on those those rules that I had to follow. So that was the only, the next obstacle once I actually got into the market and on the schedule, that was the next challenge was finding those answers. Yeah. And I think it's so important for those listening in, make sure you do your own research because like Megan said, you're going to be the one getting in trouble. So if you don't have the proper certifications for your county or your state, they can shut you down. And a lot of times like that's through your Department of Health and Human Services for Montana. It might be the same for Florida too. And you can also reach out like to your local USDA offices, Department of Livestock, and then even your county sanitarian. Those are some of the contacts you can reach out to, to start digging in a little bit deeper to make sure you have those proper certifications. So don't rely on your market managers because they have to know so many things. They're not going to know the ins and outs of every producer and what's required for them. So I'm glad you brought that up, Megan, because that's really important for a lot of people getting started. Yeah, definitely. And I think those or, those places you just mentioned, the USDA and the um, livestock agents, those places are good good places to start if you can't find answers from just searching on the internet. Because I feel like, and it could be different for every other state, but if, if you've at least tried to go about it the right way and have tried to meet the standards of something, that's going to probably keep you from getting into too much trouble, even if you find out down the road that you accidentally weren't doing something that you didn't realize you were supposed to do and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, if you at least tried to find out, then that looks better than nothing. They'll have a little bit more grace with you instead of just mm-hmm. doing an ignorance is bliss approach. Because <laughs> when you're selling <laughs> right. meat, especially any food product, uh, you don't want to mess around with that because they, they'll shut you down real quick. So ignorance mm-hmm. is not bliss in this situation. <laughs> Absolutely. What would you say, Megan, is the essentials for a booth or space setup when selling beef at a market? As far as the set of the equipment, the tent obviously is going to be very helpful. And depending on the market organization, I've seen some markets where it doesn't look like they have a very strict policy for what your your booth space has to look like. But there's others like the ones that I do. They're very specific on what you need as far as the the tent color and height and the tent weights that you need you're going to need weights on there so they should if it's an organization that that is really strict about that they will give you all those details and tell you exactly what you need to buy but if they're not then I would say at least get a good sturdy tent which I got mine through Sam's Club I believe 
and uh, you can probably get them through Walmart or Amazon or anything like that. And then the tent weights are very important too if you live somewhere where the winds are going to pick up because you wouldn't, I mean, those tents are heavy, but when some wind blows through there, they they can get picked up off the ground pretty easily. So you certainly don't want that to happen. Yeah. Um, so those are important. It's, and then the tables, of course, it, depending on what you're selling, um, you're going to want a table probably and just a, anything that's going to display your product the best way possible. So that's, that's it for equipment. But for me, the most important thing that has helped immensely from the beginning, what and this is really only going to apply to people selling food items, but I do samples at the market. So I bring a little propane grill and cook up little samples. That it's normally ground beef. Make the night before, I'll just kind of make little meatballs out of it and and cook them at the market and that again there there is one market I go to where there's a fire marshal who has checked on me a few times and (laughs) and made sure I was doing something safe but I have a little you know a a tiny little uh, fire extinguisher that I keep under the table and they haven't given me any trouble <laughs> since they saw that. But that's, that has been huge because like we were saying before with engaging with the customers, you might have someone who is not in the mood to talk to you and doesn't want to hear your sales pitch. But if they smell something on the grill and you and they see that you're offering samples, they're going to walk up to you and they're going to be a lot more interested in hearing about your product. <laughs> So I would say that would be the number one. <laughs> oh, that's genius. I love that. Yeah, because, you know, if, a lot of producers, if you're selling beef, chicken, eggs, it's not like you can go up and try it, right? It, you know, it's not prepared. It's frozen, vacuum sealed. And so people yeah. can look at it, but that doesn't really tell them at all if it's going to taste good. So that's another reason that helps a lot in selling it. Yeah. And who doesn't love the smell of beef (laughs) on the grill, whether it's steaks or anything, it's like, Oh, that smell. That is just genius. I love Mm -hmm. that you can do that. That's got to help out a ton. And especially for people who, like you said, are standoffish. Yeah. Okay. Everyone loves to eat. And if they're going to buy beef, they're going to be coming (laughs) over to try it anyway. So I love that. That's a fantastic idea. And especially the fire extinguisher. Yes. Cause the fire marshals are out hot and heavy, making sure you're obeying by the rules. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So that's helped out a lot. And I will give everyone a warning. There's, there's always going to be people that just walk up to the sample, take it and walk away. They have no interest in buying from you. And you just have to prepare yourself for that and be okay with it because it's worth it. You know, or people who take a sample and ask if they can give it to your dog and it's like your heart breaks a little bit, but you have to say, okay. Oh no. (laughs) But it's worth. <laughs> oh, that would be so crushing. <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, it's, I just try not to let them. I try to make sure my face is not showing what I'm thinking. But, <laughs> you know, you, get, you you work really hard to raise this product. It's not. It's, you're not trying to sell it to dogs. You're just, so yeah, you know, they all mean well, and you just have to be prepared for that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> control your face. <laughs> that would be a uh, soul crushing. <laughs> exactly. Oh gosh. Yeah. I would have to uh, control my facial expressions because uh, yeah, sometimes your face could say it all. <laughs> yes. But it's well worth it. Those instances, 
Yeah, they're well worth it for the number of people that, you know, it does turn them into a customer or especially a return customer. It's worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, even if somebody takes your sample, walks away and they do that for four or five farmers <laughs> markets, who knows, maybe the sixth time they're going to actually buy it from you. Right. So, um, you can maybe hang on to that hope too. People are doing that. Yeah, it happens. Kids coming up like one after another, taking three or four samples, but you know, you never know. They might run off and tell their parents, oh, this is so good. We need to go buy it. So stay positive about it and not let it get to you. Absolutely. And you know, like, what's that saying? They always say, um, you have to spend money to make money. And mm-hmm. what a great way <laughs> to showcase your product and your giving in order to receive and, you know, maybe not even receive. But like you said, the benefit of that is far going to outweigh all the negative of people feeding it to their dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Uh, and you're so right about like booth setups with the weights. I've been to not only just farmers markets, but product shows and events as well. And some antique markets and stuff when I was selling leather goods and the wind came through and sometimes those afternoon storms can just roll through and it'd be a sunny, beautiful day. All of a sudden it's 50 mile per hour wind gusts and storm clouds and thunder. And I've watched people's tents just be picked up and flown away. And I always pack extra weights and those come in many forms for whatever booth setup you have. And I've had to lend them to people before. I remember this one gal, she was, gosh, had to been nine months pregnant and she was trying to hang on to her tent when this came through and I was running over with the weights to help her hold her booth down. So invest in good weights, always pack more than you think you need because you don't want to be in that situation. I felt so bad for her. Yeah, that is one downside to markets. And I've actually, I've talked to another vendor before about why don't we do an indoor market somewhere around this area? There should be something like that because the weather, it's, it is taking a risk, especially in the summer times here in Florida. There's there's yeah. pretty much always an afternoon storm. Whether or not it's going to affect the market is complete. I mean, you can check the radar. The the market managers do their best to predict what's going to happen. But there's always a chance that you might yeah. not be able to sell that day because the weather is just awful. So that that is one downside. But uh, there's also, you know, really good days. So it's it's just something that's part of it. Now, do your farmers markets in Florida go year round or do you have a season? There's the ones I do go year round. The there are a few that in the summer months when it's really hot, they'll change the hours and end it maybe an hour earlier than usual because it just gets too hot and no one's going to be out walking around in the sun at that point. Oh, that's fantastic cuz here for most of our markets they're outdoor and we have a season like usually it kicks off in April and ends in October mm-hmm. and they used to move it to an indoor location at our fairgrounds. And that was a few years back. They stopped doing that for a bit, but that was kind of nice. Yeah. But most of the food vendors weren't there anymore, especially like the produce because mm-hmm. they didn't have anything to sell with it being winter is yeah. in Montana are really brutal. So that's nice to have if you're in a place where you can have a year round market, that adds quite a bit of stability to your customer base. Mm-hmm. The neat thing about beef though, is even if, for people listening are in a state where it's like Montana and they're more seasonal, you can engage with your customer base and let them know, Hey, I can still provide you beef by doing deliveries and whatnot, or, you know, meeting up with them. So that's kind of the nice thing of having a frozen product definitely, um, where you have those off months. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There are, um, I think the vegetable farmers are the only ones that are, that have to deal with the seasons and not having a product year round you know, the fruits and vegetable stands. Yeah, absolutely. And I, oh, I always feel for the, the produce vendors because I can't imagine, I mean, raising beef is hard, hard enough as it is, but could you imagine if putting all your heart and soul to raising some sort of crops or produce and the weather affects that even more mm. 
And then if you sell out or you don't have enough product to get through, that's going to be so much more challenging. I've thought about that often. I'm like, oh. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And I'm sure they have folks at the markets who don't understand why they don't have this vegetable or this fruit at this time of the year. You know, they have to explain to them that it it only grows this time of the year. So I'm sure that's a challenge too. It's always a great way at farmer's markets to really educate people. Because I find that the people that go to farmer's markets really want to know where their food source is from. And they're a little bit more knowledgeable and want to know if their products that they're consuming are safe and they want a locally sourced product. Mm -hmm. So they're a little bit easier crowd to engage with and share that with. But it just blows my mind how a lot of people, unfortunately, are kind of ignorant to the seasons that things grow in. Absolutely right. And that is a great thing about farmer's markets is just that opportunity to talk with the customer and, and have a conversation about things and answer their questions, or they might have a totally incorrect idea of, of how something is done in the agriculture industry. And it's a chance for you to correct that, talk to them about it. How would you say would be the best way to effectively set up and then tear down your booth space? What have you found works best for you? Well, the markets I do, the the organization, the Tampa Bay markets, they're very specific about setup and breakdown. They send out an email a couple of days before. It has the entire load in and load out procedure, and you have to stick to every single part of that. Or it's because you know working all those vendors around each other, especially depending on the location and the roads and everything, it can be a very complicated and chaotic process getting everyone in the right spot and there's a process that they send out and it basically the main thing is just respect the other vendors don't go and park your car in the middle of a one-way road and take your time unloading while there's a pile of vendors sitting behind you waiting to get to their spot you know stuff like that so just be respectful of that if they don't give you a specific direction on that part just just be mindful of that kind of thing and traffic flow and all that. And the other thing I would say is just be patient because by the end of the day, especially in the summers or any time, but any type of bad weather, by the end of the day, those vendors want to go home. Everyone's patience is pretty thin by that point. So don't expect to get out of there in a hurry. Just kind of maybe bring a book with you and be prepared to wait until there's a good chance for you to get out of there safely. Absolutely. Especially if you're bringing it, like say if your booth is for your situation, a freezer truck, or if you have a trailer, you know, a lot of times you're the last one to get out of there. And like you said, it can be Mm -hmm. chaos. Like (laughs) setting up was a chaos and getting in and getting your booth set up. You will see chaos at the end of a market, especially like you said, when people are hot, look out. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen some uh, interesting altercations. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And our our market manager, uh, when I was there, this was last year, I was doing a lot of these things and the year before, and she was on it, Johnny on the spot. If anybody was driving too fast, getting to their spot or getting out. Oh, she was on it. And I was really impressed. So for you listening, listen to your market manager respect the rules. Like Megan said, they will prepare you and just make sure you're being courteous and follow the rules and you're not going to have a problem. If the other vendors are not following the rules, I'm sure the manager is going to be Johnny on the spot with that. So yeah, it's a little stressful, (laughs) but yeah, those, those rules and procedures that they give to you, hopefully they will provide you with those because they are very helpful. They have them in place for a reason. And if everyone follows those, it makes things go much more smoothly. 
What would be some of your tips on how to pick your market if there are several to choose from? How did you kind of decide which ones you were going to go with over the others? It took a while. I mean, I tried to guess just based on the demographic of the area. I tried to guess, well, this is going to be more my customer here. and But it really took me doing the markets a few times to really be able to tell where the product was going to be received better and where there was more of a market for the product I was selling. I would say try to, you can try to figure it out ahead of time based on the area and that kind of thing, but you might have to do it a few times to really see. And then at that point, I have dropped one market that just wasn't doing well for me. So stuff like that, you you just have to go and and do it and kind of, and give it more than once because markets are, there's so many variables that can affect whether or not you have a good day, the weather, the there could be a giant event going down, going on down the road. So the traffic isn't as high that day. So do it a few times to eliminate that kind of stuff and then evaluate if it's, if it's going to be a profitable market for you. And if it's not, then, you know, your time is valuable. So that might mean you need to check out and see if there's, if you have other options in it, you might need to check those out and see if it would be worth your time to do those instead. Absolutely. And like for our markets, you can buy like a day pass or you can buy the season pass. So if you're just getting started in doing a farmer's market, don't be afraid to just do the day pass. And even like Megan said, if you're doing three or four of them to see if that market's going to be a good fit, it's better to pay that smaller day pass than sign up for the season because you don't want to be out any money to sign up for a full season if your market has that option because you might very well end up wanting to swap markets. So yeah, you might spend a little bit more your first Mm -hmm. year trying to figure out, but that's part of kind of your research, market research, so to speak, to decide what's going to be the best fit for you. So don't be afraid to branch out. I love your insight on that, Megan. Thank you for that. Thank you. What would you say from your experience has been the easiest way to collect payments and create receipts for folks? Do you use like a square payment for cards? Are you primarily cash? And do you accept checks? I can accept checks. Not many people will have a check or want to write a check, but so the most popular payment method is credit card and I use SquareUp. I think the website is just squareup.com and they have different types of credit card readers. The one I use is just a really small little square two by two inches about and you insert the card in there. I've also seen the iPads with that you can swipe it down the side or in, and put the chip on the side. So you, there's different options that you can use. But I really like the program because you can, you, once you create your account, you can also go on your computer and sign in and it, it spits out all kinds of reports for you. If you have your items you know, you can create items in your phone to sync with the credit card reader. And then that way you can really track what you're selling and how much of it. And that can be really helpful. So there is, of course, there's with any credit card program, there's going to be a fee. Yeah. The number of people that carry around cash lately, it seems like it's just so small. So it's re- I've seen some vendors that they do cash only. And yes, they don't have to pay that fee anymore. But that, I mean, to me, I feel like you would lose a ton of business because most people want to pay with cards yeah. from what I've found. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause you know, you're going to lose out on a lot of people if they run out of cash at the other booths before they mm-hmm. even get to you, you know, you've just lost out on quite a bit of sales there. So the card mm-hmm. reader, like I've done the square up too, and 
I love it. It's super simple. I think the fee is like maybe 3%, mm-hmm. but it's really handy to have that because you can just swipe it and then it can spit out. You can email receipts, which mm-hmm. is really nice. So that way you don't have to print them out, but they're pretty easy. And I've never really had a problem with them. And the nice mm-hmm. thing is it links right to your bank account. It's super simple. Usually most of these vendors, whether you're using Square or whoever else, they give you the reader for free. And then your only fee is 3% every transaction. And if you're worried about that 3%, you can always reflect that in your prices to help offset the cost. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the fee, I, now that I think about it, it's actually gone down to 2.5% possibly. I might Don't quote me on that, but I believe it has. So, it, And it's really not a big deal at the end of the day when you think about how many customers you would have lost if you couldn't offer that form of payment. In Montana, we are behind the times. Let me tell you, we're slowly catching up. You will still see people writing checks at the grocery store. I have no idea why. <laughs> it's so funny. But when we moved to Montana, we were blown away at how many people still use checks. And I've had people ask me if they could write a check at a market. If it's a larger purchase, I do not just because of the, the risk. But if it's like if it's like $20 or something, and I feel like the person might be being honest I'll accept it, but I always get a little leery about checks just because, you know, what if it bounces? Right. <laughs> then you're, you're having to be out not only that money, but then the bank fees. So I was just curious if you accept checks or if people even use them down in Florida. Yeah. I mean, I personally, I write checks all the time. I think anyone in the agriculture industry uses them a lot because it's just, yeah, that's just what you do, you know, when you're paying for yeah. a service that's been done or like feed stores normally can't take credit card or feed mills can't take credit cards because there's too much dust from the, the mixers. So it's standard for me, yeah. but yeah, I hardly ever see anyone using them at the markets, but you're absolutely right about being weary of larger transactions that way because you don't have a way of, con- of getting a hold of that customer again or getting your money back. So I totally agree with that. Yeah, just, you know, the process of trying to track that person down or even going after them is just not worth a lot of the heartache and time invested in that. So Mm -hmm. it's just interesting to me to see people writing checks at markets and stuff here, which it just cracks me up. And I love that stuff because I'm just (laughs) old school at heart. But yeah, yeah, like you said, writing checks for, you know, operating expenses and stuff. I totally can understand that. And I do that myself. But it's just funny to see somebody write a check out for $5 or $20. And I know they have debit cards on them. It's just kind of funny. They would rather do the check process. So I was curious how you handled that one. Yeah, it hasn't been a big, big thing for me to to deal with, but it might be in other areas. Yeah. And then like for my cash customers, I bought just one of those old school receipt books that you can write it out and then give them their copy. Do you have people request receipts, your cash customers? I actually, what I do with the cash transactions is I still record it on Square. So you can, okay, yeah, you can just go through the transaction like you would with a credit card payment. You, you know, get their total. And then when you go to check out, it has the option for a cash. And then that way you're not only able to still give them a receipt, but you are, and I th- you'll have to manually input their, their phone number e- or email for them to get the receipt sent to them in those cases. It won't just automatically populate like some of the credit cards yeah. will, but you can do it. And then also it, I do it mainly that way just because it will include it in my sales reports for that day. It'll all be there. That's super handy just to have it all in one one spot. I'm going to have to look on the cash side of that because I, I didn't know that option on Square. Yeah. That's fascinating because I had just always done the old school books and at the end of the day, I'd have to compile oh, everything. Yeah. So that is neat to know that they have the cash option. 
that. Yeah, that makes it a lot, a lot easier to track everything. So when you're at the markets, what kind of marketing materials have you invested in? Like, do you do brochures or banners? I know your yeah. freezer truck, you've got your logos and everything all over, but what are some other things you do? It, the freezer truck is definitely, it kind of covers all of the um, banners and, and signs that I had before because right behind me. So that's got all that covered. But when I had a tent, I did uh, a big banner on the back side of the of the tent. So it was kind of behind me when I'm standing in the booth so people could see that. And then also another little banner across the top. And those are kinds of things that you can you can look at when you do go check out a market, check out what other vendors are doing and what their signage looks like and that kind of thing. And then the marketing materials that I have for people to take, I started with just business cards and now I also do a, not really a brochure, but like a paper pamphlet because it it has a, a big picture on it. And to be honest, both of those things have the same exact information on them, but some people just prefer one over the other. You know, I guess some people, if they know they're going to lose a business card, they take the flyer and vice versa. So it has been good to have both options there. Oh, that's good to have that variety. And it's so important to invest in how you're representing your business. Like you said, you know, walk through other vendors. And if you see, like, notice the booths that catch your eye. And what is it about that booth that caught your eye? And then try and replicate that. And it doesn't cost that much to invest. Like the banners, I go through Vistaprint. I don't know who you use, but it's real simple to do. And you just submit all your logos and bam, they create this product. Yeah, Vistaprint, I've had good luck with before. And I think the one I got my last banner done through was All State Banners. And they were, I mean, pretty, I don't think there's really a big okay. difference between them and, and Vistaprint, but it's just another option. So yeah, that's a really easy process. And they can, if you're not yeah. tech savvy or, or experienced with creating logos on the computer, they can even get someone to help you come up with your design. Yeah, absolutely. Like I feel there's no excuse in this day and age for not being able to represent your business properly because there's so many tools and a lot of these businesses have made it so simple and streamlined to get these products. There's no excuse not to have a good representation because it's really going to set you apart from the crowd. And even if you're not a marketing specialist or, you know, even computer savvy, get on the phone with these companies and they'd be happy to help walk you through it. Or you can tell them what you want and then they'll design it for you. So there's a lot of good resources, even if you're not tech savvy or have it just the thought of this overwhelms you. So that's good to know about the other company too. And uh, even business cards and brochures, like you, if you're tech savvy, you can save yourself some money and make that at home. Mm -hmm. But otherwise it really, in my experience, is not that, that expensive to pay for them through a company. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm definitely not marketing minded or good with that kind of thing, but it's, it's absolutely necessary. That's the, the first thing those customers are going to notice at the markets is your banner from far away. So that, that's very important. What would you say is the best for proper food handling tips when transporting frozen beef to ensure that product quality? Well, for me, there was a program I had to go through in order to get my food permit. It was a okay. like a food safety course. So I got certified in that and that taught me a lot about food handling. It, it really, it applied more to uh, ready to eat foods and it was more sanitization stuff like in restaurants and that kind of thing. So not all of it applied to what I was doing with the frozen beef, but I think a lot of it is exactly what you would think 
just already in, in handling a frozen animal protein is you don't want to let it get below a certain temperature. So don't let it start thawing. It will be a while before anything becomes unsafe. But with beef, at least, I know I'm very concerned about letting that product thaw and then refreeze because it just highly degrades the quality of it when you do go to, to thaw it and cook it. So any yeah. anything like that that you're going to do to help preserve the quality of the beef is is also going to help you with uh, preventing any food or, you know, health issues. When I started out, it was, I was taking two igloo coolers and the best way to keep your product frozen longer was to have them packed as full as possible. So it's tricky because if you have a great day at the market and you sell out of almost everything, that's great. But the little bit that you don't sell in the cooler, it's going to start thawing very quickly. So that was the challenge. And honestly, I wish I could say that I had a solution for it. Now, the solution I found now is the, the freezer truck, but that was a long, you know, long way down the road and not something that everyone can just go out and do. So I have seen some vendors that bring like chest freezers on a little pulley kind of, or like a little buggy kind of thing. So yeah. they'll bring that and have it in their tent and they can run an extension cord to a power outlet. But that's only good if you are at a market that has power. <laughs> so not all of them have right. power. Oh gosh, just bringing a freezer would be awesome if you couldn't do the big old freezer truck. But yeah, again, you have to check yeah. with your market manager, make sure you got power to that because that'd be a fantastic solution especially like in states like yours, where it's just hot all the time. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge down here. And I, I don't, I know it would be easy. It's definitely easier in the winter down here. So I think in other states where it doesn't get so hot, it might not be as big of a challenge as it was for me. Just keeping it frozen solid as, or as frozen as possible is going to be your number one goal. And then also, like if you do the samples that I was talking about earlier, I always have standard common sense stuff, you know, don't use your hands to hand out the samples, use toothpicks and, and gloves and have the, a big thing of, or the, you know, the wipe sitting right there and be able to clean down or clean off all of the stuff that you use to cook the samples with that kind of thing. So it's, I haven't had anyone come up and try to check out what I'm doing there, like the fire marshal did <laughs> with the <laughs> with the cooking. But if someone did come up, if a, if an inspector did show up, you want to you wanna be able to tell them and show them that what you're doing is safe. Yeah, absolutely. Just always assume that you're going to get checked and that way you're prepared mm -hmm. for it. Yeah, and there are undercover inspectors at market that I've seen them there before. So it is it is possible. Yeah, I've heard horror stories of that just in doing research and reading other people's experiences online and the undercover health inspectors. Oh my goodness, that would be terrifying if you weren't prepared. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's just like with the regulations, I, I've never seen them be unfair. You know, if you're at least trying to do it the right way, then I highly doubt that you're going to get in trouble for anything. So at the very yeah. most, they might tell you, hey, you actually need to be doing it this way. And that's the worst that would happen in that case. So if you're at least trying to, trying to do things safely, you're good. <laughs> that's great insight there. And another thing I was going to mention too is I sold my beef direct. So I haven't actually sold my beef at a market yet, but I've had people say, well, you know, if I'm delivering, whether it's a coworker or to a, a friend meeting them in town, living so far out of town, 
I've had them maybe not want to pick up a shipment because they're afraid about it thawing before they got home with other errands and whatnot. So what I've done is Hmm. got, you know, like how they have the market bags or reusable grocery bags. Everybody seems to have those around. Mm -hmm. I found some that actually are, they're cheap. They're inexpensive, but they have an insulator inside and you can zip them up. So it'll at least help a little bit, keep it frozen, getting home. So I've had a lot of people just talking with them. They say, well, I've lost customers because they went to the farmer's market earlier in the day and they don't have frozen products. Has that affected you being down in Florida at all? Or have, had you provided maybe ice packs in the past or something to help keep it cold? Yeah, it's definitely been a problem. Your idea that you just mentioned is great. And I should what I should be doing is offering those to people because like you said, they are so inexpensive. I should yeah. just be handing off the beef like that. I have a friend who sells beef that way in Oklahoma. She ships it to the customer and she just gives them away with the order because it's a good thing to, to have, it can prevent that product from thawing. And when it comes down to the customer buying it that day and deciding whether or not they can take it with them, it would make a big difference because you have a lot of people that are not going straight home. And not only are they not prepared to take beef home with them? A lot of times they're they're not really sure what you're even selling. <laughs> they don't understand that, oh, the, the yeah. product's actually frozen, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so yeah, it can definitely avoid a lot of lost sales, I think, if you have some an yeah. option like that for people. But the other thing I do is they might be going straight home, but they still want to shop at the market for a while. And if it's yeah. if it's really hot out, I'm probably more concerned than they are about their products on. You know, I don't want them to have a bad experience with the meat because they let it thaw. So I'll offer yeah. to them to hold it for them while they're shopping because they might be another hour there. So I'll hold it for them and then they just come and pick it up on their way out. That's perfect. Do you collect payment in advance before you hold it? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I have had a bad experience. <laughs> So this gal came through my booth and she started collecting all these things. And I was making leather purses and cuff bracelets and all kinds of stuff. And she collected probably $500 worth of stuff. And she was opening up a shop and she's like, I've just got to go around, look at some other things. I left my wallet in my car. Can you hold this for me? And she darted out of the booth before I could say, why don't you go get your wallet and come right back? And I thought for sure she wasn't coming back. And I was like, and I had people asking about the bag because they had it set aside I was like, oh, I'd hate to sell this to somebody else because I didn't agree to it. But she just said, hey, hold this. I'll be back. And I wouldn't want her to come back and be like, hey, you didn't hold my product. But then I started getting worried. I'm like, by the almost, it was almost the end of the market. No joke. She showed up five minutes before it closed and purchased it. And she told me, she's like, I went all the way home. And I remembered I asked you to hold that stuff. And I'm so sorry. I was going to other booths. There's a couple other people holding stuff for me. She's like, you're the only one who held the stuff for me. She's like, I thank you for that. And she goes, however, I bet you're never going to do that again. I said, you're right. I'm not ever going to hold something without payment again. And thank you for coming back because there was other people who wanted the product. And, you know, maybe at the end of the day, you're almost (laughs) sold out. And then that person doesn't come back. So I was just curious that that you were more trusting of me. No, I completely agree with you there, especially with beef. There's certain cuts that are very popular, but there's only, you know, a couple of them per steer. So if it's a cut that everyone wants and you only have a couple left and and you end up holding on to them for someone who doesn't show up, that's that's disappointing because then you've also lost other customers who think that you are just always out of stock. And it's, yeah, that 
definitely take the payment yes and then let them go and shop and and also I, I would advise getting their phone number from them in case they do walk off and forget it you can call them if you're packing up to leave and they still haven't showed up you can call them yeah that's what the other thing I should have done too and unfortunately like I said the gal darted out so quick but I'm like next time I'm yeah. getting payment and a phone number because I can't believe I didn't go <laughs> yeah no I can't do that <laughs> yeah don't let them discourage you because I could try to think of every scenario in my head and I'm probably going to forget something or leave something out, but there's, you'll, you'll find things that you do it once and you're never going to do it again. And that's just the way it is. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to avoid all of it. And for those of you listening in, these are just some of the ways you can kind of overcome objections, like back to helping people get their product home. If you're prepared and maybe you have these bags, like I don't have the bags with my logo on it or anything. They're just some I picked up in town and I've started researching and you can find them so inexpensive, inexpensive, but you can also put your logo on the outside and it's a really good investment. And maybe you do, Hey, get this bag. If you spend $30 and meet, which, you know, isn't that hard to do, but you can do things like that to help encourage people to not only maybe purchase a little bit more, but also help them to get their product home safely. And that overcomes that objection of, I'd love to buy beef, but I'm not going to be home till nine o'clock tonight. It's like, Hey, don't worry. I got you covered. Mm -hmm. And you can then close that sale. Cause I mean, we hate to be salesy and we're not being, you know, not the traditional car salesman type technique, but we need to sell this product to offset our costs. I mean, that's why we're in business obviously is to be able to stay mm -hmm. in business. So those are some ways. And if you can't justify buying those bags now, pick up just some cheapy, ice packs that you can buy in bulk and do just grocery sacks, uh, maybe paper bags. Those are some ways you can help with that too. I mean, granted the beef is frozen, but say somebody only buys a couple pounds, that's going to thaw out a lot quicker than somebody who's buying 20 or 30 pounds. So those are just some easy ways to right. save yourself some loss of sales. And then like people ask me to hold product, you can learn from some of our uh, past mistakes and not being too trusting. You don't want to be too naive of pe people wanting to do that. Cause like Megan was saying, you know, there's some cuts that are highly sought after. And if you're holding it for somebody that didn't pay, just think that, you know, bank on the fact they might not come back. You can learn from my, yeah. my past mistake. I mean, it turned out good for me, but I, I remember thinking I will never ever do that again. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. All right, Megan, will you share your transition from coolers to your freezer truck? What worked and didn't work when using the coolers and ice chests? I know you briefly mentioned this when we were in our interview episode, and you've mentioned a little bit today, but can you kind of talk us through the whole pros and cons of the coolers? Because a lot of people are going to be starting out obviously simpler with that and then working their way up. Sure. The coolers obviously are going to be less expensive. They are, that's a plus. And honestly, they do a better job than you would think of keeping things frozen if you pack them the right way. So what the coolers I use, were, they weren't anything fancy like the Yeti or Orca coolers. They were just regular Igloo coolers. They were great for keeping the product frozen if they were full of frozen beer. So that's the only disadvantage there is it's not easy to unload a cooler full of frozen beef by yourself. Uh, so yeah. you have to think about that, whatever your situation might be. If you're not by yourself, then that's great. I'm shocked at how many people could walk by me and see me struggling to 
unload a 150 quart cooler that was clearly four times as heavy as me and not offered help. So, um, oh no, people are just gonna. Oh yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, other places might be different, but uh, where I was, that was not the case. So don't just plan ahead. You know, don't get in a situation where you're gonna throw your back out. Uh, maybe bring a box. You might you might have to load that cooler in your truck. And then when you get to the market, unload half of it into a cardboard box just so you can get it out of the truck safely and then load it again. If you have to do that, then you have to do that. But that is one disadvantage of coolers is just the lifting them because in order for them to work properly and effectively, they do have to be very heavy and and full to the brim. So that was the pros and cons of the coolers. The other downside, like I mentioned a little while ago, is once you do start selling through stuff, that's great. But the less product you have in there, the faster the, the remaining product is going to thaw. You know, if you bring two coolers and one starts emptying, maybe transfer everything into the one cooler so that it, it doesn't start thawing as quick. So those are just a few things that can help. And again, this is in Florida and sometimes in the summer. So other areas might not have nearly as hard a time as I had in keeping the product frozen. Uh, But just common sense things like keeping the sun off of it. If you're in keeping the lid closed when you're not in it, that kind of thing. The coolers, I mean, I I used them for, I'd say probably a year and a half. Oh, wow. So they may not have been ideal, but yeah, but they did a good job. They they uh, they can be a perfectly good tool. So when I switched to the freezer truck, it was just a total change, and I no longer have to worry about things thawing at all. But of course, that's a huge investment. So that's probably not something that anyone can do just right off the bat. It was a year or two after getting the business off the ground that I was able to go down that road and and really justify it. Uh, But also if you are processing a lot, it wasn't just the markets that it helped me with. It helped me with picking up the beef from the butcher. I could make fewer trips to get my beef because I could store more in the freezer truck. So that, that was part of what led me to getting it. It wasn't just that it would make the market easier. So you got to be able to justify it if you are going to try to go down that route. But if it's not something you can do, don't let that keep you from selling at the markets because you can definitely do it with coolers if you do it the right way. Like you said, you know, it took you a couple years before you could invest in a freezer truck and most people are doing the coolers and that's how most people have done it for a long time. So a freezer truck is a fantastic goal to strive for. But don't don't let that discourage you if you're just getting started and you're like, oh, I'd love to have this freezer truck, but you know I can't afford it right now and I don't want to do the coolers. I'd love to have this big cool thing. Well, you know that's something that you can really strive for and that'd be a fantastic goal. Mm-hmm. So you know, put your time in with your coolers, get started. Don't let that discourage you from getting out there and getting started. And then you can build up to a freezer truck because I think that's everyone's goal is to have something magnificent like that and how simple it makes your life. But Megan, is there any downside to the freezer truck as far as like maintenance or anything that you found is kind of an inconvenience? Yes. And not, not so much as the, the truck is great. I absolutely love everything. We've had some technical difficulties with it. The, the main thing I will warn everyone about if you are thinking of, of going that route is talk to your market manager first, because depending on where the markets are, and I have a, a variety of locations that I do. So 
there's one location where switching to the market or to the freezer truck was absolutely no problem at all. I got to stay in my the same spot I was always in. It was it was no problem or no challenge. But other markets that I do where we have to be on a street in an outdoor mall or that kind of area, there were rules against having a vehicle parked there with the tents. It could only be tents there. So when I switched to the freezer truck, one of my biggest markets, I had to be moved down to an alley where the food truck would go because the regulations of the mall, that's where, that's the only place the actual trucks were allowed. And that completely ruined my sales. I did that, I think three months in a row to really give it a good shot and and see if it was going to improve but that totally ruined my sales because I was away from the market footprint where all the other farmers and and produce vendors and stuff were and I was with ready to eat food so people would come down this little side alley and they wanted something that they could eat right there and so it once they could even figure out what I was selling they would say oh no we want we want this stuff right here that we can eat right now for lunch so that was a nightmare and luckily the market managers have been amazing and they fought for me to to get permission from the landlord of that property to go back a little bit differently but I am back on the main street with the other vendors oh nice that could have been avoided if I you know if, if I had known that ahead of time so just talk to your the market association is this going to be possible and what am I going to have to change if I do it and that kind of thing oh that's great advice because I think a lot of people see this big grand thing be like oh that'd be so cool and make everything simpler Mm -hmm. but you know like with anything there's a downside so that's fantastic that you went into doing your research and working with the market manager I think that's fantastic that your market fought for you to help get you moved over and that's where building a good relationship with your market managers really pays off. That's something really important to do as well when you're first getting started is get to know the market managers. They're there to help you and assist you because at the end of the day, they want the best possible market for not only their vendors, but the folks coming and spending their time at the market. And a lot of times, if you've got a good working relationship with them, they'll bend over backwards Mm -hmm. to help keep you at that market and make it a good experience for everybody. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Megan, what would you say is your best advice for creating return customers at these markets? You know, I wish I could say it was like a you know, cut and dry formula, but what I have found is just getting to, it sounds really cliche, but just getting <laughs> to know the person, genuinely talking to them and wanting to know them. Thinking of all of my regular customers, that's really, um, I think, the big difference between someone who really enjoys the product versus someone who is going there to support you and to talk to you and find out how the operation's doing, asking about how the cows are doing and all that stuff. That in my case at least, those are the customers that are still still buying from me and seek me out regularly and plan to go and get their stuff from me is the, the ones that you really form a connection with. I couldn't agree with you more there. All right, man, this has been so much fun and so much incredible insight. I've loved everything that you've brought to the episode and just all the tips and advice, because I think for a lot of people, it can be overwhelming getting started and just trying to figure out which next step to take and then the step after that. So I really appreciate you bringing in all these little bits of insight 
And before we go, is there any other resources or any other places people can go in their research part of all this? Yeah, I would, you know, if you can't find the answers you want online, you can always contact your extension agent or just look up your your county or your state's Department of Agriculture, and that's a good place to start. But one of the the things that I've found since I kind of got the ball rolling with Marcus, I wish I had found it beforehand. It's a book called Gaining Ground by Forrest Pritchard. And it's not really a how-to book, but it can definitely make you feel a little better about the challenges that you might come across. It, it's about a fellow who comes from a conventional beef operation. And when that starts kind of going downhill and they have to diversify, he tries to start selling the meat at the, the markets. And it goes all the way through his struggles in dealing with a butcher and getting started at a market. And it again, it might not answer any of the questions that you don't already have answers to, but it can at, at least give you some relief and make you feel like you're not you're not crazy. You're not the only person dealing with those challenges uh, because I listened to it after the fact, after I had finally gotten through all of this navigating and I was just laughing the entire time because um, it was, ex- I, I knew exactly what he was talking about. So that's a good book to listen to. And it's an easy read. It's on Audible. So you can, you know, you can listen to it while you're doing other stuff and it's not a hard book to get through or anything. I'm definitely going to be ordering that book. I've heard a couple other people mention it before too. And it just, it sounds like a perfect read. So thank you for sharing that. And yeah. like we talked about throughout the episode, no matter what state you're in, some of the resources we've mentioned, just reach out and start at your county level with your county health sanitarian or even your Department of Health and Human Services. That's a great way to just get phone calls in. Even if you're not ready to sell the markets this year or even next year, it's a great way to research and prepare. And that's what these people are here for is to help guide us in making sure that we're doing the proper things in order to sell any kind of food product out there. So that's a great way to get started. And I hope that with Megan and I's insight on this episode, it makes your path a little bit easier in getting started and selling your beef at market. So Megan, thank you so much for today. This was fantastic. You totally knocked it out of the park and I really appreciate your time. Oh, you're very welcome. And I know that there's probably things that I didn't answer that are specific to certain people's situations. So I'm happy to answer questions if people want to message me or email me with specific questions. I would be more than happy to, to try my best to help. That would be fantastic. And for those of you listening, I will link all of Megan's Instagram and website and everything in the show description. So that way you guys will have easy access to that. On Instagram right now, she is at Riverbend Cattle Co. You can give her a follow there. And then I will link her website as well. So thank you, Megan, for being open to that. I really appreciate you taking the time to help others who are listening in. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for doing this.